You know, there are, there are people all around the world that have every opportunity, they have every knowledge textbook. You know, we carry something, most of us, in our pocket or in our shirt pocket or, or in your purse that has the knowledge of the entire, the history of the entire world available in it. If you have a smartphone and, and, and connected to, to something, whatever it is that you need to be connected to, you have the knowledge of the entire world available to you. And believe me, I use it a lot. I just touch the button on the front and don't even have to type it in. Just talk, talk to my phone and say, hey, tell me about whatever, the Great Wall of China. And it pulls up all the information and pictures and satellite images. But you know, information alone isn't enough, is it? So we're going to be continuing on and actually concluding our look at the book of Jonah this week. And if you've, if you've been here the last four weeks, you've heard me talk about the fifth chapter of Jonah. And I know some of you have turned over from chapter four and you've looked and, and you said there is no fifth chapter of Jonah. Well, there isn't really a fifth chapter of Jonah. It's not some apocryphal chapter that I'm, that I'm going to be preaching on today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at a little bit of, of history um, of Jesus commenting on Jonah. But I was just talking about how, you know, you, you could have everything at your availability and you can have all the knowledge in the world but still not believe. It reminded me of a little story of this little girl who was sitting on a park bench and she was reading through her little children's picture Bible. You know, those, those Bibles that have great big pictures in just a few words. And This man was sitting on a bench next to her and, and she was reading to herself about the creation and some of the other old Old Testament stories that were in her picture Bible, and, and he leaned over and he says, little girl, you don't really believe all of that stuff, do you? You know, he was a well-educated, well-philosophized well person. He says, you don't really believe in all of that stuff, do you? And she says, well, yes, I do. And he says, well, you don't really believe that there's a God who created the world in six days, do you? She said, yes, and on the seventh day, he took a rest. Huh. Well, you don't really believe that there was a flood, do you? And that all of humanity was wiped out. And she says, yes, except for Jonah. Or except for Noah. Except for, and I got myself confused there. Except for Noah. Noah lived because he and his family built an ark to the specifications that God gave him. And he and his family were spared. She goes, you don't really believe that, do you? She says, well, yes, I do. He says, what about, what about Jonah? What about the fishtail, Jonah? You don't really believe that there's a fish big enough to swallow a man and for three nights and three days that that man lived in the fish. And then he went on to preach, do you? And she says, well, yes, of course I believe that. And she says, well, how do you know? And she says, I know, I have faith. And one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him all about that fish story. And she said, huh. And the man said, huh. What if he's not in heaven? And she said, then you can ask him. <laughs> then you ask him. We get to the point in our lives where we, we read the Bible. And, and I know a lot of you in here, and even some of you listening at home, I know that, that you spent the entire last four weeks reading 
hopefully, in addition to your normal daily readings, the book of Jonah. You, you probably got tired of those 48 verses in the book of Jonah. I believe it's 48 verses. 48 verses in the book of Jonah. You could probably quote the book of Jonah, some of you. Um, you know all about Jonah chapter 1 and, and, and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and the very distinct things that make the story of Jonah what it is. And then you get to Jonah chapter 4 and you get to the very last verse and it's just over. It's kind of like, where's the rest of the story? Where's the rest of Jonah? It just kind of ends. Don't you know God says that I love people and that, I, that I'll do anything to, to save people? And Jonah's just kind of sitting there pouting out to the east of the village, of, of the village, of the city. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 tells us all there is for us to know about God. Not all there is, but this gives us a glimpse of, of, of who God is. And these are the words of Jonah. And, and, and in hindsight, looking back on Jonah chapter 4, we talked about him last week. This was Jonah's pout. I knew, Jonah said, that you are a merciful and compassionate God. I knew, Jonah said, that you're slow to become angry. I knew, Jonah said, that you're rich in faithful love. And I knew that you're one who relents from sending disaster. And yet I'm still pouting. Yet I'm still whining. Yet I'm still upset because you did what you did. God, you are merciful and compassionate. Church, God hasn't changed any. God doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same. God is still full of mercy and still full of compassion. God is still slow to become angry. But you know what it means when it says that God is slow to become angry? What is that actually telling us? That God will eventually become angry. He's just slow to become angry. He is rich in faithful love. Let me tell you, we sing a song sometimes, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. He is rich in faithful love and unfailing love, and he relents from sending disasters. Our job, our mission, our purpose, our calling as an individual, as a family unit, and as the body of Christ is wrapped up very simply in that line across the bottom of the screen. Helping people Wherever they are, whoever they are, helping people that we meet along the way discover Jesus Christ. And it is an, it is an ongoing discovery. You can, you can be here today and not know Jesus, and we're going to help you discover Christ. You can be here today and be a pastor, be a pastor's wife, a deacon, a deacon's wife, a trustee, whoever, and we're going to help you along that process of discovering Jesus because we don't know all there is to know about Jesus. And not only discover him, but become his followers. Now, having said that, having said that, we have to keep that balanced with the fact that there are some people who will know all about Jesus but will never, ever make that commitment to following Jesus. And I pray, and I pray, and I pray as we look at this text today that that's not you. So let's, let me give you a little background um, on where we are. We're in Matthew chapter 12. Uh, in verse 38, um, basically what's been going on here is, is Jesus 
and his disciples had been getting in a little bit of trouble with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the ones who not only knew the law, they followed every jot and tittle of the law. Every dotted I and every crossed T. They followed the law as good as they humanly could. They weren't perfect, but they darn sure were close. And they followed the law. And not only did they follow the law, they also seemed to, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they seemed to follow Jesus around just about everywhere he went, trying to catch him, trying to trick him, trying to, to dissuade the crowd from following him. They weren't really friendly with Jesus because he really wasn't the kind of Messiah that they were hoping to see. They were hoping for a victorious Messiah that would come and reestablish the throne of David, that would overthrow Rome and, and reestablish the temple that would that would just flourish Judaism like it did in the good old days and that wasn't quite the Jesus that they got and so they followed him around and 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 on the Sabbath one day the Jesus and the disciples were walking and there was a wheat field and one of the disciples or a couple of them reached out and and kind of stripped a stalk of wheat right there and then they just kind of you know as they were walking they would rub it around and blow the chaff out of their hand and be left with a little handful of grain and they would chomp on it and eat it. Well, of course, the Pharisees saw that and they went crazy because they said, that's harvesting and you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, no, it's, 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 it's good to eat. It's good to eat. God wants us to rest, but God also is not concerned. You're concerned about the little things, and God is concerned about the big things. And then Jesus healed someone with the paralyzed hand. And then there was a man that was brought before Jesus who was demon-possessed, and he was blind, and he was mute. He couldn't see, and he couldn't speak. And Jesus healed him so the man could both speak and see, and all the crowds were astounded. And they said, perhaps this is the son of David. When the Pharisees heard this, they contradicted Jesus. Some of the scribes, I'm going to pick up in verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Jesus, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation and look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray this morning. Father God, I pray that as we break this word apart, that it not only fills our heads, but more importantly, it fills our hearts. Let it drive us to compassion with you. Let it drive us to a lingering ministry with you. Let it drive us not to know you in words and, 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 and sermons, but let it drive us to know you in a very real and personal way. Let it help us discover Jesus Christ. Let it help us become your followers. In your name we pray, amen, amen. So the Pharisees came to Jesus that day, 
after he had just healed a man who, who had a demon possession, and he was blind and couldn't see, and he was mute and couldn't talk. And, and Jesus healed this man so much so that the crowd began to think, maybe this guy really is the son of David. Maybe this guy really is who he says he is. And, and the, 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 the Pharisees got really upset, and they demanded another sign. Now, I don't know about you, but it would just take one thing. It would just take one time. Uh, Jesus walking in here and grabbing a hold of somebody who was demon-possessed, couldn't see, and couldn't talk. And if I could see Jesus do that, it, wouldn't even, it didn't even take that much for me. But, but how amazing would that have been? And the religious leaders of the day should have just welcomed that. And you wonder, why? Why did the, the Pharisees say, we want to see a sign from you? Well, when you read into it, and when you look at that and compare it to the other parts of the New Testament and the other parts of the Gospels, what the Pharisees were actually doing there was they were trying to trick Jesus. It wasn't that one more sign would have caused them to believe. What they were doing was with the crowd gathered, they were trying to trick Jesus into performing another sign. Because you see, when they walked up and said, hey, we are asking, we are demanding that you perform a sign, Jesus had one of two responses according to their thought process. He really only could have done one or two things. He could have brought somebody else up and not been able to have healed them. In which case they would have said, ha, see, look, he's a charlatan. He can't heal. Or the other option would have been, hey, he healed somebody because we told him to. We gave him the authority. We commanded him to do it because we, told, we demanded a sign. And so either way, Jesus knew that either way, they were putting him in a position that they were going to try to get the upper hand. But Jesus thought of a plan C. Jesus thought of a new thing. The crowd began to consider Jesus as the son of David. And the, par and the Pharisees said, you know, show us a sign. And Jesus looked at them. And I believe it got real quiet right then. And I believe that as the, the sun beat down on that Middle Eastern day, Jesus looked at the Pharisees there in front of the audience that they had gathered, in front of the crowd that had gathered to watch this big confrontation between these men who knew God only in, in their head and not in their heart. And Jesus answered them, teacher, or they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, an evil and an adulterous generation demands a sign. Do you realize what Jesus did just there? Do you realize the, the gravity of what he just did? The Pharisees, those that were in charge, for the most part, those who the Romans had given rule, local rule, asked Jesus to give a sign, and Jesus looked at him and said, You're an adulterous generation. Not only are you adulterous, you're evil. Jesus called them evil, the church people. He called them evil and adulterous. Evil, the word there is, is a bad nature, diseased, wicked. When Jesus called them an evil generation, he said, you've got a disease inside of you. And it's a wicked, bad disease that's coming from the inside out. You are spiritually evil. You are spiritually wicked. You don't see with your heart. You're just seeing with your laws. And Jesus says, not only that, but your an adulterous generation 
You're faithless to God. You're unclean. You have relapsed into idolatry. And when Jesus told the Pharisees that they were adulterous, they had relapsed into idolatry. He didn't mean that they were out having improper relationships with people. What he meant was this. God loved them and God put them in a position where they were allowed to flourish. And yet they turned their back on God and instead they got caught up in their own righteousness and in their own own self self-importance because you see the pharisees didn't find their strength they didn't find their identity they didn't find their wholeness and their completeness in the fact that god had called them and put them where they were they found it in the fact that they could follow the laws that they had made up they did the things that made everybody seem like they were an amazing people but instead jesus said you're just out for your own prestige Now, we have to be careful today, too. We have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in doing church that we forget about who it is that we're here for. Because, you see, if we're not careful, we can say at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, I went to four church services this month. I served on the mission team this month. I came on Sunday night and did prayer walking. I came and set up the the sanctuary. I did, I did, I did. I served in the choir. I played in the praise team. But at the end of the day, if that's where we're finding our identity, we're finding it in an idolatrous relationship we need to get back like the song says to the basics of life we need to remember our first love like john the revelator talks about in the book of revelation we need to remember our first love that one who called us if you today have drifted away and and you're constantly demanding that god do more and more remember what he said to them they had forgotten the one they claimed to serve and i hope we never get to the point as individuals and as a church where we forget that 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 god loves us and god did this all for us so that we could simply serve and love him so jesus calls them an evil and an adulterous generation And he says, you know, no sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So what is this sign of Jonah? And how does this translate into what we commonly think about when we think about the crucifixion and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ? Because if you're a church person at all, that three days and three nights thing might throw a flag up to you. Might just throw a flag up to you because we, 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 we don't tend to think that way. I'll get there in a minute. What is the sign of Jonah? Well, what is the sign of Jonah? Scholars can tell us it's one of a couple of different... They have, a couple of different ways of looking at it. Some, some say that the sign of Jonah is quite simply this. You remember back a few weeks ago in Jonah chapter 1, God gave Jonah a commandment. Go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm no, 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 no. I'm going the other way, thousands of miles the other way. And so he went and he got a boat and he headed over to Spain, to Tarshish. And he got on the boat and, and he was so afraid that he went down in the bottom of the boat and he fell asleep. And, and you remember the storm of the century came up. And, and long story short, Jonah's standing on the deck with the captain and the crew. And, and he says, he gets to a point where he says, look, you all are going to die unless something happens happens to me so throw me into the ocean 
I will sacrifice myself to appease God. And some, pro, some scholars say that that quite simply is the sign of Jonah. That Jesus said, I'm willing to give myself as a sacrifice for the better of many. Okay, that's good. I like that. That's the sign of Jonah. Another thing that Jesus goes in here and he says, is he says, three days and three nights. Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. I used to struggle with this, and there's lots of people that have struggled with this, because there seems to be a little bit of an inconsistency here, doesn't there, in, in, in the story of Easter. Because we realize and we remember that Christ was crucified on what day? On Friday, right? And he was brought down from the tree before, before darkness. And that was the first day and the first night. And then the second day was the Sabbath, Saturday, and the second night. And then early on the third day, he rose. What's this about three nights? What is this about three nights? How does this reconcile with the fact that Christ was only in the grave for two nights? Well, it's quite simple when you think about it. Don't let this stumble you. Don't let this trick you up. Three days and three nights. The penalty that Jesus paid was not just in his death. The penalty that Jesus paid was not just in his death. Let me read to you a very familiar scripture to many of you here. It's Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm just going to read a few verses of it. Who has believed, Isaiah said, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ? Who has believed what we have heard? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look at, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him, yet he himself bore our sickness. And he carried out our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was led, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. What is that talking about there, church? What is that talking about? That's talking about the events that took place on Thursday night. That's talking about the events that took place from the time Jesus was betrayed on Thursday night. There in the garden, there the mock trials, there the disownment by Peter in the courtyard, there the beatings and the floggings that began even overnight. Jesus began, because the Bible says that, that every drop of his blood was precious, was shed for us. And he began to shed blood overnight on Thursday. There's your third night. 
There's your third night. When Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly three nights and three days, so will the Son of Man go down three nights and three days. We typically begin with the death of Jesus, but Jesus said, I began to pay your penalty the night that I was betrayed, the night that everybody ran away, the night that I was disowned, the night that I was beaten and mocked and, 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 and false trials put up. There's the sign of Jonah. The Pharisees said, hey, we want to see a sign. You want to see a sign. Wait a little while, boys. You're going to see a sign. You're going to see a sign. The miracle of the redemption of Christ began on Thursday evening when he was handed over and when he became sin. Christ became sin. The book of Luke tells it this way in, in, in chapter 9. While he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, Son, or, or some answered John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the ancient prophets. But you, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell them, not to tell this to anyone at this time, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priest and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. That, my friends, is the sign of Jonah. When Jesus said, I am going. The Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That's the sign of Jonah. I will suffer, he said. I will be rejected, he said. I will be killed, but I will be raised. And, and, and upon the resurrection, you, good friends, will have your sign. It's the sign of Jonah. Pharisees wanted a sign. Jesus says, oh, you're going to get a sign. You're going to get a sign very shortly. And the sign will begin when, when you demand my body and when you demand that I be handed over and you demand that I be tried and beaten and mocked and scourged. That's the sign. But there's also a condemnation. Verse 41, Matthew says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh repented at the words of Jonah. Jonah, uh, it, it says, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk into the city. This is in Jonah chapter 4. And he said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. The men of Nineveh believed in God. What a sermon. What an amazing message. Jonah walked into town and said, in 40 days, this city is going to be destroyed by God. And everybody believed in God. Everyone believed. Everyone fell down on their, their faces and believed. And then, and then Matthew says that the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Anybody remember back in, in I think it's in 1 Kings, when, when they're talking about uh, the wisdom of Solomon. And the wisdom, uh, you know, Solomon asked, he could have asked for anything. He could have asked for land. He could have asked for, 
for power. He could have asked for gold. He could have asked for anything. And, and yet, when God granted him one thing, God, God gave him one wish, one, one request. What do you want in order to rule this people? What did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. Make me a wise king so that I can rule over these people. And Solomon's wisdom was known. He was known as the greatest, wisest man who ever lived. You know, he put Albert Einstein to shame. He he put Stephen Hawking to shame. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He was so wise that this woman from from uh, modern day in, in 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 the Arabian Peninsula, kind of near Saudi Arabia, she came from the ends of the known world. The, the queen of Sheba, she's called. And she came from the ends of the world. And the Bible tells us that she came just to sit under the wisdom of Solomon. She came just to quiz him and to, to check him. And she did. She sat and she talked with him. And she saw just how wise he was. And this, this Gentile woman, this non-believing woman, said these words. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And Jesus told the Pharisees and the scribes that were gathered that day, he told them, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba will stand at the judgment and condemn you. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. Now let me, let me quiz you this morning. Whose son was Solomon? Who was it? David. David. What's a name that Jesus is known by? Son of David. Jesus was giving them a sign. They asked for a sign, and Jesus gave them a sign. One greater than the Son of David is here with you. The Son of David. The Son of David, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the, the Appointed One. We're getting to the end of the series of Jonah. And, and I titled this series, I Am Jonah. Because as Jonah ran away, we begin to see that we are Jonah, that you are Jonah, and that I am Jonah. Everything, everyone, and everything in the four chapters of the book of Jonah listens to God. Everything and everyone in the entire book, if you just sit and think about the entire book of Jonah that you've been reading, everyone and everything in the book of Jonah listens to God except who? Jonah. And guess what? I am Jonah. You are Jonah. We are Jonah. The sailors and the captain of the ship listen to God. But Jonah doesn't. The wind and the waves listen to God, but Jonah doesn't. The great fish listens to God and comes up at the appointed time and the appointed place, but, but Jonah doesn't. And then as he's upchucked onto the land 
he, he begins to hear God again. And he goes to the Ninevites and the Ninevites and the men of Nineveh from the king all the way down to the, to the lowliest servant and all of the livestock. They listen to God, but Jonah doesn't. And then we get to the fourth chapter and it's a really cool chapter. We get this amazing vine that pops up overnight. Why did that vine pop up overnight? Because it listened to God, but Jonah didn't. And then this little worm comes out and chews on the vine, and it withers. Why? Because it listened to God. But Jonah didn't. And then the, the wind from the east comes in. The Scirocco wind comes in from the east because the wind listens and obeys God, but Jonah doesn't. Jonah's the only one who rebels against God. Jonah's the only one who turns his back on God. We're getting ready to um, in, in, a, in a couple of weeks, begin a missions month. And the missions team has been working um, to, to plan this out. And, and I've, been, I'm, I've been getting some, you know, we've been getting some speakers lined up to come in and talk to us. And the mission team's going to do some really cool things. I talked with somebody this morning that kind of told me a little bit of what's going on. And, and I can't wait to hear the rest of it. Um, August is going to be missions month. It, and I pray that, that as we enter into August, um, over the next couple of weeks, I pray that, that we begin to use these sheets of green paper with names on them, and you're going to see them again. Um, if you didn't get one, make sure you get one and fill it out today and get it to me. I pray that, that you begin to get a heart like God's heart, and, and a mind like God's mind, and eyes that see what God sees, and, and hands that are willing to do what God does. I, I pray that, that as we begin to, to, to take the mission of God, which is helping people discover Christ, and become his followers out into our communities, our homes, our workplaces, our schools. Yes, school starts back in a few weeks. Um, our schools, everywhere that we go, I pray that, that we have missions on our mind. And mission is quite simply this, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. As I walk around our community, as I walk around this city, I see lots of people who are beginning to get an ear and to beginning to sense the presence of God. We've had people that in the beginning would run away. And those of you that walk, you know that at the beginning of, of our time, a couple of months ago, there were people that were shutting doors and, and closing windows on us. And now they're actually out. There's a few along our routes that are actually out uh, waiting for us to come by. Uh, the community is knowing about it. If you've been on Facebook the last couple of weeks, you know that the community of Crothersville is aware and is very excited about the fact that the people from this church are going out in the community. And that's just a small way that we can do missions. I'm going to close with this scripture, and it's Matthew recorded it a couple of chapters earlier. It's in Matthew 9. Jesus went to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, said to his church, said to his followers, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Church, I'm here to tell you the exact same thing. I see it every week. I see it all the time. The harvest is abundant.
There are people who are ripe for the picking into God's kingdom, but the workers are few. Praise team's coming in just a minute, and they're going to sing a song for us. It's a song that, that you're familiar with. And the words of the very first verse say this, The sun comes up and there's a new day dawning. Church, today is a new day. Today is a new day in our heart, in our relationship, in our mind. It's a new day. If you don't know Jesus Christ, then please come and talk to me about him. Please come and, 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 and let's begin this process. Because you don't want to go through your entire life like the Pharisees and the scribes. You don't want to go through your entire life thinking that you might know Jesus but not really know him. Come and let's talk about it. Maybe you want to come and, and, and talk about getting involved in this mission, uh, this mission that we've been talking about. Maybe you want to come and talk about, hey, what can I do to be a part? I, I can't come and walk on the, prayer, on the prayer walk team, but I'd love to do something. Well, come on and let's talk about it. I'll find something for you to do. We'll find some place to fit you in, to, to, to get you working, and to, and to get you where you can receive harvest. If nothing else, come down and get a green sheet of paper and write a name down so that we can pray for them, so that we can begin the process of, of connecting God with them. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever may lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. That's my prayer today. My prayer today is that God's people will be singing his praises from the morning to the noon, from the noon to the evening, from the evening to the night. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you today and we have looked at, at, at you yourself in Christ speaking. We have looked at, at the power that there is in the sign of Jonah, that on three days and three nights, Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, just like you were wounded and bruised and pierced. Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, then let this be their day. Let's, let's not go another day or another week. Let's begin that process today. Maybe there's somebody that needs to join this church. Maybe there's somebody that just needs to say, you know what, I'm going to come down and pray that God will find me a, a way to be used in this body. I'm tired of just sitting. I'm ready to be used. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, I pray that you would send missionaries out into this community and let them come from this body of believers. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.